0: Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship.
1: Rose, where well, we're going,
0: we don't need
1: Rose. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. No, I am your father. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello, and welcome to
0: After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards 1. Phil Edwards 2 is just outside, and I believe Phil Edwards 3 is just washing the dishes while Phil Edwards 4 is making me a sandwich.
1: (laughs) I'm sure we have a lot of very confused listeners, but uh, for for those people out there who are among those confused listeners, don't worry. All will be revealed.
0: It certainly will, because I believe Phil Edwards 5... Has just brought over what we're going to be doing tonight. Thank you, Phil Edwards Five. You're welcome, <laughs> Phil Edwards One.
1: <laughs> you know what I like, Phil? I, what I really enjoy. So which about Phil are you talking one, to, Mike? Well Phil Phil Edwards One. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. go. I'm gonna direct this to prime you. When, Phil. When you yeah. Right, prime Phil, when you when you go for a bit, you really commit to it, and I, I appreciate that about you. You've just got to commit to the bit.
0: Isn't that right, <laughs> Phil Edwards Seven? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> He, he, was, oh, he wasn't made quite something, right.
1: Yeah. Something went wrong with Phil Number yeah. 7, I see. Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, Phil, number one, I guess. Uh, why don't you go ahead and fill people in on what we're going to be discussing in this episode so we can start to clear up some of this craziness. Well,
0: the whole thing with all the different versions of me is because we're doing Duncan Jones's directorial debut, 2009's Moon, which stars Sam Rockwell, and we will be going after the ending of Pretty Woman, the classic starring Richard Gere, And Julia Roberts, and our top ten films this year will be the films of 1982, which was a very good year for film.
1: Yes, yes, indeed it was. It uh, it should be a pretty fun list. A couple obvious ones, a couple surprises. I am looking forward to digging into those. But in the meantime, let's go ahead and jump into our endings. And Phil, why don't you go ahead, since you're so so invested in the the world of Moon, why don't you tell people exactly what happens in this neat little science fiction film? I don't know. I've never seen it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, hold on a minute, Phil Edwards 2 has. Here <laughs> Phil. Okay. Hi, Mike. It's Phil Edwards 2
1: here. Uh, hi, hi, Phil 2. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay, Sam Bell, played by Sam Rockwell, is on a three-year contract for Lunar Industries. He is the sole employee on a moon base where he harvests helium-3, which is a clean fuel source which he blasts down to Earth whenever the tanks are full. Communication problems means he has no life feed with Earth, but he gets recorded messages from his wife, who was pregnant with their daughter Eve when he left. His only companion is Gertie, the station station AI voiced by Kevin Spacey. Then one day, while out harvesting, Sam Bell hallucinates. He crashes the lunar rover and passes out, but he wakes back at the base. He convinces Gertie to let him back out. Finding the rover, he also finds his unconscious doppelganger. He brings him back to the base, where they argue as to who is the original. But Gertie reveals that they are both clones, and after a bit of exploring, they find hundreds more in storage. Older Sam who is now ill from unknown reasons, drives out of the interference which was blocking the communications and calls home. Eve answers and she's now 15 years old and his wife died years before. The two Sams realise that the rescue team which is being sent to them is actually going to kill them and reset the base and get a new clone. They plan an escape for young Sam as older Sam knows he's dying. Older Sam gets back in the crashed rover while young Sam wipes Gertie's recent memory. He also programmes a harvester to hit the signal jammer before he blasts off back to Earth, he gets back to Earth, and we hear how sam 's testimony on lunar industries has hit the news, and the company 's stock has dropped
1: and that 's moon indeed, it is nicely done sir yeah and i I really enjoyed this film I did too, like I said before i I, I do like the film, I think it got a lot of people. Heaping a lot of praise on it as you know, as kind of this this great new discovery of a great new filmmaker, and I don't want to dis- disparage that. Um, although I don't think that Duncan Jones's follow-ups have quite proven that out. Although I did like Source Code, which mm, he also directed, yeah, yeah. but I, I do enjoy the film. I,
0: pers- I personally didn't mind Warcraft, but it was uh, it wasn't as good as it should have been. That one.
1: Yeah, I, I really didn't like Warcraft, I'll have mm-hmm. to say. But I, I think that's really not his fault. I think that a lot of that has to do with trying to translate a video game into a movie has just proven to be an almost completely fruitless endeavor because it seems as if it's an impossible task. Yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah, But, but moon, moon itself, I mean, it uh, was great to see practical effects, all all the models and things like that was, was fantastic. And Sam Rockwell just knocked it out of the park with his performances.
1: Yeah, oh yeah, he's fantastic. I, like I said, I do enjoy the movie. I think it's a good film. I just don't know that, it, you know, uh, it's, it's one of my favourites. But it certainly yeah, is yeah, worth yeah. watching. If, if you're looking for kind of an original science fiction film, uh, it, it's a good one to track down, definitely.
0: Oh, well, well worth watching. Even though we've, we've told the plot, it's still, I mean mainly because of Sam Rockwell's different performances and just as it's going on, it just drags you along and you get, it's tense when you realise what's happening and you're trying to figure out and you hope he makes it, but it's good. Absolutely. Okay, then. But uh, that was the rundown of the film. Mike, what have you got for your day after?
1: Okay. Well, the Sam clone's testimony has rocked the world. Lunar Industries has come under fire, and the original Sam Bell has been called to testify so it can be determined if he was a willing participant or if he is a victim, too. Original Sam testifies and declares that he was an employee of Lunar Industries and that he had given DNA as part of a standard company physical, but he had no knowledge of the clones on the moon. The trial drags on for months and months, and ultimately the leaders of Lunar Industries are convicted on human trafficking charges. However, as Lunar Industries is the leading provider of the world's power, the whole affair ends up being a blip on the radar. A handful of executives go to jail, the company pays original Sam and clone Sam a huge sum of money, and business returns to normal. A few months later, however, clone Sam begins to feel ill, and one day, he collapses. Ooh. And that's where we're going to leave it for now.
0: Okay, very good. I like the sound of that. Thank you. Some, similar, some similarities to what I've got, but uh, to be expected, but uh, I think we'll go different ways, but All interesting right. to see what develops. Sure, sounds good. Let's hear it then. Okay, then... It's also a bit confusing with the different Sams. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, while I was writing, I was going. Well, I, was
1: I called mine clone Sam and original Sam, but I only have the two. So if you have more than that, uh, then we, yeah, we don't I, know. <laughs> I've got a few more, yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, the new Sam on the moon, who now gets real-time communication because of uh, the signal jammer was destroyed, he sees the news report about the Lunar Industries testimony. He knows he is a clone. That hits him hard, and he tries calling Lunar Industries, but they do not answer. With fear, anger and confusion, Moon Sam commands the Harvesters to just head out off into the distance. And he then smashes the control console before heading down into the clone chamber. Earth Sam is in protective custody. Earth Sam's the one who escaped from the moon, got to there and he's the one doing all testimony. His testimony is electrifying and damaging to loon Industries and, as like with you, shakes the world. All major corporations are now being looked at closely. Earth Sam also brought a container of Helium-3 with him, so he has plenty of money. All he wants to do is see Eve, even though he knows he's not the original. Real Sam is reeling from the recent news. He did give rights to his genetic code, memories, and more, but he thought it would just be one of, one or two clones and that they would be notified as to their origin.
1: And that's my day after. Hmm, very interesting. Okay, yeah, I see some similarities, but I think we're going in different directions.
0: Yeah, I think so too, but uh, go on, what happens then with your immediate aftermath?
1: Okay, Well, after a medical exam, it's revealed that the built-in deterioration that Lunar Industries added to their clones has begun to afflict Clone Sam. He's told that he only has months to live, but the doctor who's treating him has an idea. If he can get a DNA transfusion from Original Sam, he can go on to live a long and healthy life. Clone Sam tries to reach out to Original Sam, but Original Sam has disappeared. Worried that there's a faction inside Lunar Industries that's out for revenge on the Sams, Clone Sam goes on the hunt for Original Sam. With the help of a private eye friend of his named Rick Deckard, (laughs) Clone Sam eventually tracks Original Sam down to a company called the Tyrell Corporation. He's been kidnapped and held by their science division, who believe that Sam's uniquely clonable DNA will be perfect for a new technology they're developing called replicants. Rick and clone Sam begin to devise a plan to save original Sam. And that's where we'll leave it. Excellent. And for new listeners,
0: neither myself or Mike know what the other ones uh, (laughs) written. So there may be some similarities. It still goes a different way, but uh, yeah. All right. But it's you know it's it's one of the obvious things I suppose. That's, I guess
1: I don't know. I thought yeah. I was being clever because yeah, it kind of so, popped so into did my I head, as well. <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, "Ooh, ooh, that's fun." I didn't think of that, and just now I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it in there. I was going that's, a different direction at first. That's
0: exactly what I did. I was right and going, "Oh yeah." Uh, well, anyway, let's. Uh, maybe
1: we're too clever, Phil. <gasps>
0: maybe we're clones. of each <laughs> Maybe other. we're clones
1: of each other. That's oh. why our brains work alike.
0: Oh, <laughs> we always finish each other's. Uh,
1: Sentences? Yeah. yeah. Wow. The only way people can tell us apart is, besides the beard and the glasses, is our accents. Yeah. And the, fact and the, we and the beard and the glasses. Different countries. Right. Yeah. And look nothing alike.
0: Oh, yeah, that as well.
1: But other than that, we're almost identical. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, then. All let's right, well, see. let's see. I want to hear this immediate aftermath. Let's see how it goes. Okay. Moon Sam's
0: been busy waking up clones. And when a rescue ship arrives, the armed crew are overwhelmed by a horde of Sam clones. They then blast off back to Earth. Their sabotage of the Harvesters has meant a disruption on Earth and the Helium-3 supply. It's not enough to cause major damage, but enough to see Lunar Industries' stock completely drop. They declare bankruptcy, and other companies rush to the moon to stake a claim in the Helium-3 market. Cloning is banned, and a young man by the name of Eldon Tyrell puts puts forth a proposal for a new android worker, known as Replicants. (laughs) Earth Sam (laughs) is now out after winning his court case. He is recognized as an individual, he does meet with real Sam and Eve, Earth Sam is shocked to see how old real Sam is, and Eve finds it all too difficult. Although heartbroken, Earth Sam agrees, and they never see each other again. Mm. But with his new identity and fortune, he heads off to explore the world. And that's my immediate aftermath.
1: Very cool. So definitely different, even though we both touched on the Blade Runner thing a little bit. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, well, let's see where yours goes. What's, What's happening then with your long term?
1: Okay, well, in the wee hours of the morning, Clone Sam and Rick Deckard break into the Tyrell Corporation Science Facility. They free Original Sam from the cell he's being kept in, but on their way out of the building, they're pinned down by security. Original Sam offers to give Clone Sam some of his DNA and sacrifice himself so that Clone Sam can escape. But Clone Sam realizes that his plan is flawed. Original Sam has a daughter to get back to and a whole life to get back to, and chances are good that Clone Sam is going to die soon anyway as the procedure was experimental at best. So he decides to take Original Sam's place. He and Rick return to the cell where Original Sam was being held, while Original Sam hides until the security forces have run after Rick and Clone Sam. Original Sam escapes and makes his way back to his family, while Clone Sam and Rick are taken by the Tyrell Corporation. While clone Sam had hoped that his cloned DNA would foil the Tyrell Corporation's experiments, it turns out that his and Rick's DNA combined are the perfect recipe to create the replicant technology. Ah. The future is about to change forever. Dun, dun, dun. Excellent. This is where I wish there was a catchy Blade Runner theme song so I could just insert it here. Like, Blade Runner! Like a really cheesy like 80s like flash Gordon. Going orden. running, watch out for blades! <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, yeah, so-
0: I just got Fangelis. You know, putting his hands all over the keyboard. Yeah. <laughs> right. T- right, 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 right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but more melodic than what I just did. <laughs> that wouldn't be hard to do, but... <laughs> da, 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 blade, <laughs> there you go. You know you're getting it, see? Yeah. All right, so that's my long term. How about yours, Phil? Let's see how yours wraps up. Okay,
0: my long term. The many clones of Sam make it back to Earth, but they're attacked by lunar industry security. But some of them do escape. At the same time, a new story breaks... Shown, other corporations have been using clones for their various schemes and things, and the whole of the world goes, oh my god. Eventually some of the escaped Sam clones find and release other clones and get hold of clone creation factories, causing a huge increase in the numbers. The Clone Wars are about to begin.
1: <laughs> I like it. And that's my After the Ending for Moon. Ah, very good. Very cool. The Clone Wars, huh? I feel like I've I feel like I've heard that somewhere before, but I can't. Yeah, I couldn't couldn't forget I can't what place it was. It. Yeah. yeah, it must have just be one of those things. Yeah, yeah. Nobody had ever, ever come up with something like that cool before. No, I don't think so. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, nicely done. Why don't you go ahead and tell us if you have any moon trivia, Phil? Yes. Well the film was shot in thirty three days on a five
0: million dollar budget, so that's you know, that's good value for money. Absolutely. Uh, in, on the set in the galley on the moon base the shelf is marked Soylent so, you know, <laughs> film, Soylent nice. Green, which is very nice according to Duncan Jones when Sam talks to Eve the voice of the man in the background is the original Sam and the only time we hear him in the movie hmm. and uh, Jones wrote the film specifically for Sam Rockwell he wanted to work with him and he had some other projects but then they fell through but this one this one worked and Kevin Spacey read the script and agreed to voice Gertie but only when the film was finished and if he liked it Uh, He saw the film, loved it, and recorded his lines in half a day. Wow, that's
1: cool. Yeah, very cool. And that's uh, Moon. Very nicely done. All right, well, then why don't we move on to a movie that probably, I'm guessing, a few more people have seen. Yeah, yes, yeah. And that, of course, is 1990's Pretty Woman. Yes, well, do you want to give us a rundown of the events of Pretty Woman? I absolutely would love to. So Pretty Woman, 1990, starring Julia Roberts, Richard Gere, Jason Alexander, and directed by Gary Marshall. Uh, here's what I like, by the way. Can I just say on, on Wikipedia, uh, the yeah. description of the film describes Julia Roberts' character as a down-on-her-luck hooker. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead on a limb here, and I not want to insult any hookers, but I'm going to go ahead and say that if you're prostituting yourself for money, I think you're already qualified as being down on your luck.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I think
1: we can all agree that you're not probably at the the highest point of your life if you are a ho- a, a no. hooker. Yeah, just my you know my take on things.
0: No, I'll, uh, I agree with that one. Yeah, so just a, a hooker or a prostitute would have been more than enough to.
1: I set think. The scene. Yeah, yeah, I think so. You know, <laughs> so I don't want to I don't want to anger the hooker lobby out there, but I think I'll redeem myself throughout my ending. So hopefully they'll see that I'm I'm on their side.
0: Well, we do know that they are a big components of our listeners.
1: Uh, yeah, you know, between this and the Showgirls episode, I think we really do have a, a, a pretty powerful uh, fandom in the, the hooker industry. So. Yeah. Oh oh. Every week we dig ourselves into know, a deeper
0: yeah. and deeper hole of ridiculousness. I can't see any way out of this. So I'm
1: just going to say flubber. Hey, there you go. <laughs> All right. So uh, anyway, Pretty Woman, high end businessman Edward Lewis, who's kind of a jerk, meets hooker Vivian Ward and hires her to play as his girlfriend for the next six days. Vivian's no nonsense attitude begins to rub off on Edward and he finds himself taking more chances and speaking his mind more often. Edward and Vivian begin to fall for each other. But when he offers to take her off the streets and put her up in a nice place, she refuses, saying that life isn't a fairy tale which I never understood, but yeah, I know. no, 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 please pro- don't take me off the streets where I uh, have to have sex with men for money and put me in a nice apartment. Uh, please. That's insulting. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing.
0: Yeah. I know what you mean. Cause it's like, he's saying, well, no, here you are a place to stay. I suppose she didn't want to be, she thought she was just going to be like a capped prostitute kind of thing. Didn't she? I, assume.
1: I, I guess, but like, I mean, even though he didn't have any, an ulterior motive, I think she thought he did. I'm just going to throw this out there. If my choices are being a kept prostitute with, you know, Richard Gere, who's not exactly a bad-looking guy, or, like, you know, being out on the streets with, like, you know, grubby, sweaty, 400-pound men, I I, I just think maybe you might pick the Richard Gere option. I don't know. Mm, yeah. All our hooker listeners out there, write in and let us know if I'm wrong on this one. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. It's, uh, it's, yeah, i Yeah, look okay. <laughs> Go on. Really, really pushing that PG-13 line this week, aren't we? Yeah, we are. (laughs) Okay. Uh, When Edward decides not to take over a company but instead tries to save it, his boss, Philip, played by Jason Alexander, goes to confront him and finds Vivian instead. He is mad, and so he attempts to rape her, but Edward arrives and punches him in the face and throws him out. Edward asks Vivian to stay with him because she wants to, not for money, but, again, she refuses. (laughs) So he takes his limo to her apartment the next day and he rescues her as her white knight and climbs up the balcony. And apparently at that point, it is then okay for them to fall in love. So the film ends with the two of them kissing on her balcony.
0: Yeah, even though that's so like a fairy tale, it's untrue.
1: Yeah, I mean, I like Pretty Woman. It's a great film. But no, I, sort I of do. Like, I've always enjoyed it. It's sort of like, really? What, what does it take? You know, yeah. like maybe you shouldn't be overly discerning when your options are limited. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. Anyway, that's Pretty Woman. Phil, why don't you take us into your day after? Okay, well, Edward and Vivian
0: sit in the back of the limo. They kiss, laugh, look at each other and kiss some more. Then they sit in silence just looking at each other. After a brief moment, there's a babble of conversation as each tries to express their feelings. Despite talking over each other, they both end by saying, I love you. They head off to start their new life together. And that's my day after.
1: Aw, that's surprisingly sweet and romantic for you, Phil.
0: Well, yeah, I thought... That's that's what it is. They both found each other.
1: No, I like it. I like yeah. it. I just, you know, you know it's not always the direction you take things in. Yeah, it's true. But I thought this time, yeah. Yeah, I dig it. Well, let's see. What have you got for yours, then? All right. Well, Edward and Vivian settle into a life of romantic bliss, but it doesn't last long. Philip sues Edward for assault for punching him. And despite Vivian's testimony that Edward was protecting her, Philip pays off the jury and wins the case. The Boo. judge award. Yes, exactly. He's a bad guy. Yeah. The judge awards Philip a settlement of millions of dollars, wiping out Edward's entire life savings. Despondent, Edward doesn't know what to do. He wanted to take Vivian away from a life of hooking, and instead, he's now penniless. Vivian jokingly suggests that Edward become a male prostitute, to which he responds, What, like some kind of American gigolo? (laughs) I was trying to figure a way of getting that into mine, but I couldn't. (laughs) Nice. Thank you. Uh, finally, Vivian comes up with a plan to trap Philip into admitting that he had paid off the jury to try and get Edward's money back. And that's where I'm going to leave it for now.
0: Oh, I like it. I like the
1: way you're going with that one. Thank
0: you. Yeah, because it's funny that I had the guy from in Seinfeld, and he was, he was like the villain of this one.
1: Right. Mm. Right, exactly. All right. So how about your immediate
0: aftermath? Okay, then. Uh, after a whirlwind wedding and a honeymoon that takes them around the world, the couple return home and face the real world once more. Edward, who had never really stopped working, throws himself back into work with a newfound vigour. He has a renewed sense of empathy and honesty brought on by being with Vivian. At first, Vivian doesn't know what to do with herself, but going through some of, some of the files on the various companies that Edward has been looking at, she finds a series of shelters for homeless people, which is in a bad way. Taking it to Edward, she proposes that they buy it and redevelop it. They will still provide shelter for the homeless, but also people in abusive relationships and women who want to get out of prostitution. Vivian knows how fortunate she has been and wants to now help others. And that's my immediate aftermath.
1: Very good. And her first piece of advice is, if a really good-looking rich guy comes along and offers to take you off the streets, you turn him down. <laughs> yeah. Because you have self-respect.
0: No, actually, the first lesson is uh, giving them all lessons on how to drive stick. Because I came <laughs> so helpful for her. So, you know. Right, it's true. What have you got for your immediate aftermath?
1: Okay, well, a month later, Philip, the bad guy, is at a Hollywood party when he meets Annika, a sexy, alluring girl with just a hint of a Russian accent. He takes her back to his house, but she drugs him and he passes out before the night gets very far. Vivian knocks on the door and Annika lets her in. Vivian thanks her fellow hooker, one of her best friends, for her help and then ransacks Philip's room. Her search is fruitless for a while, but eventually she finds a ledger in a false bottom of a drawer in Philip's office. In it, there are details of Philip's payments to the jurors. Vivian thanks Annika again and leaves. She returns home to Edward with the evidence, and they take it to Edward's lawyer. He brings the evidence to the courts, and the judge's decision is quickly reversed. However, Philip is apoplectic over having his evidence stolen and losing the case, so he exposes Vivian's identity as a hooker to the public. And that's the immediate aftermath.
0: Oh, you're such a bad man. (laughs) Yeah.
1: He really is. Uh, Excellent. I can't can't wait to see what happens after that revelation. Indeed. Well, we'll find out soon. But in the meantime, why don't you go ahead and bring us home with your long-term. Okay. Edward and
0: Vivian are blissfully happy. They now have two children, and Edward has found a way to balance work and a family life. Vivian's shelters have been hugely successful, saving and bettering the lives of many. And Vivian's friend Kit now runs one of the shelters in L.A. And that's my long-term. It all ends... Happily ever after.
1: I like it. And she's friends with the talking car. So bonus. There you go, yeah.
0: (laughs) It's always always the best way to have an artificial intelligence run a shelter. Right, right. I find, yeah. (laughs) But that's mine.
1: Short and sweet. But what have you got for your long term? Okay, well, Edward has his money back, and so he and Vivian can live comfortably. And they do so, but his career is pretty much over. His reputation has been sullied to the point that no one wants to do business with him. Looking for a new venture, he decides to utilize Vivian's knowledge and her take-no-prisoners attitude and create a new business. Lobbying to legalize the sex worker industry in order to regulate and tax it, Edward and Vivian manage to get it legalized in California to start with. They then put together what is basically a sex worker talent agency. With the industry legalized and Edward and Vivian signing clients left and right, pimps find themselves out of work and the sex worker industry begins to transform, finding violence and drugs on the wane. Pretty Women Inc. goes on to begin to change the sex industry throughout the country, and Edward and Vivian grow old together while working in an unconventional industry.
0: Oh, excellent. A nice, I like that. Different turn, different but uh, no, very good.
1: Yeah. Well, I wanted them to end up happily ever after together, but I thought this was a way they could kind of sort of, you know, maybe clean up an industry that obviously is not uh, filled with the most, you know, yeah, yeah. gallant no, people in the world. No, very good kind of send to get some protection out there for them so I see like i told you the hooker I, I knew all our hooker fans would come back around because i'm looking out for them
0: yes yes but it's, it's one of those things it's it's one of those professions which i think is always going to be around they always call it said the oldest profession but it makes sense to make sure it's safe for the uh the people who are working it exactly, so. exactly. excellent thank you Alrighty, well do you have any
1: pretty trivia for us phil
0: <laughs> i certainly do it went through uh many different forms and stories before we got the final script. It was going to be a much darker film at one point with uh, Vivian being a drug addict and it all ending quite badly for her. But uh, they ended up going with this one. But uh, in the film, Richard Gere really plays the piano and he also Hmm. composed a piece of music that he's playing. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, Richard Gere improvised the scene where he snaps shut the necklace case and... When Julie Roberts laughs, that's her natural reaction, which was a nice little touch. Oh
1: yeah, that's one of the like you know classic know, most famous scenes from that improvised.
0: movie. I always feel the screenwriter and the director must be like that going. You know, when an improvised scene is the one which people remember. Yeah. And and you go, no, but it's not, I didn't write that bit. Oh. <laughs> right. It's like, is, is it on the waterfront? I could have been a contender, I could have been someone. Right. Uh, that wasn't, that was just Marlon Brando's improvising. So, but that's the one everybody knows from the film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Uh,
0: the role of Vivian was offered to Molly Ringwald. She turned it down as she was uncomfortable playing a prostitute. She did later say, though, she regretted passing that over. I'm uh, sure. I know. Sandra Bullock also turned down the role... And other actresses considered were Meg Ryan, Kathleen Turner, Kim Basinger, Deborah Winger, Gina Davis, Carrie Fisher, Madonna, and Elizabeth Shue. While the role of Edward uh, was could have been John Travolta, Al Pacino, Daniel Day-Lewis, Denzel Washington, Christopher Lambert, uh, and even Charles Grodin. Hmm. And this one, I'm not sure this is actually true, but it's just so crazy. I hope it is. Uh, Steven Seagal was originally cast to play Edward Lewis, when an early draft of the script contained more action and several sequences of martial arts.
1: And say it <laughs> went through lots of different styles. <laughs> uh, I um, believe re- it was originally called Pretty Kick-Ass Woman. Yeah,
0: I know. Uh, director Gary Marshall decided to remove the martial arts subplots and keep it more of a traditional romantic comedy, and an angry Steven Seagal decided to leave
1: the project. Well, what a shame. <laughs> uh,
0: Richard Gere was eventually cast, and Steven Seagal joined the cast of Hard to Kill.
1: Which also actually worked out quite well for him. Yeah,
0: yes. But uh, imagine 51 with Steven wow. Seagal.
1: No, I'd rather not.
0: What, what could have been?
1: Yeah, yeah. It would be it's pretty I would
0: bad. Like to have, it's I would have definitely gone to see. Oh, for sure. For yeah, sure. But uh, I don't think it would have been that good. Probably
1: not but that's pretty woman all right very nice okay well that will wrap up our endings then it is time for us to move on to our 100 years of hollywood in 100 episodes wherein phil and i take a year from the past century of hollywood and share our top 10 favorite films from that year this week we are discussing 1982 which was sort of the start of the greatness of the 80s movies in my opinion
0: yeah loads of films when i was doing my list which i've got a soft spot for and just even if they aren't that good so it was a tricky one to do, but... Uh, right, good right. A lot of
1: a lot of nostalgia combined with actual good films. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I hear you. Well, why don't you, Phil, why don't you climb into your time machine and take us back to 1982 and tell us what the world was like. Okay, well, back in 1982, the UK Prime Minister
0: was Margaret Thatcher and the US President was Ronald Reagan. Uh, the Commodore 64 8-bit home computer was launched... Mark Thatcher, who was the son of Margaret Thatcher, he disappeared in, Sahara, in the Sahara Desert while driving in the Dakar Rally, but he was found a few days later. Uh, the first computer virus, called Elk Clover, was found. It was written by a 15-year-old boy, and it infected Apple II computers via floppy disks. So all those people who say apples don't get uh, viruses, boom. <laughs> uh, Laker Airways collapsed. Adobe Systems was founded. The, Falkland, the Falklands War begins. Uh, a Spanish priest tried to stab Pope John Paul II with a bayonet. Huh. So you know it's uh, c- lots of crazy things going on. The first emoticons were posted. Disney's Epcot Center opened. Sony launched the first consumer compact disc. Uh, the ship uh, Henry VIII's Mary Rose was raised from uh, the Solent in the UK, which uh, the ship sank in 1545. Wow. Uh, Michael Jackson's thriller was released It's also, we saw the births of some Very talented people Uh, Eddie Redmayne, Lauren Cohen, Ruth Negger, Ruth Wilson, David Diggs Alice Eve, Natalie Dormer, Jessica Biel Thomas Middleditch, Jenny Slate Jay Baruchel, Seth Rogen Haley Atwell, Jamie Dornan Rebecca Hall, Missy Peregrim Anna Packen, Sebastian Stan Britt Marling, Matt Smith Anne Hathaway and Alison Brie Uh, We saw the deaths of Lightning Hopkins Thelonious Monk, Philip K. Dick, John Belushi, Warren Oates, Arthur Love, Romy Schneider, Vic Morrow, Henry Fonda, Ingmar Bergman, Grace Kelly, and Jacques Tati. And we had the film debuts of some people you may know, Angelina Jolie, Glenn Close, Hugh Grant, and Eddie Murphy, amongst others.
1: Wow. And that's 1982. Quite the year. Simpler times, simpler times
0: yes but uh as with every year which i've been finding lately lots of bad stuff went on but i didn't
1: do that one no no didn't, i like the cover way, i like the way you're thinking sir let's keep it yeah. let's keep it on the upside yes but
0: okay then so yes the list we came up with it's a hard one to narrow down but i do like all the films i've got on it
1: yes likewise okay then mike then what have you got for your number 10 All right. Well, like you said, this is a hard list to narrow down a little bit. So my number 10 is a tie. Uh, It is between two animated classics, and they are The Secret of Nim* and The Last Unicorn, two films which uh, really rocked my world (laughs) as a kid back in 1982. I saw them both in theaters. I absolutely loved them. I have loved them ever since. The Last Unicorn is a lot weirder of a film than you remember when you watch it as an adult. There's definitely some really trippy stuff in that, but I do love the ending with the Red Bull. I love Jeff Bridges' character and it's just, it's just a really haunting film to me. Uh, the Secret of Nim is a much more traditional animated film but I really like it. I, I love the characters. I love the adventure of it. I love the magic of it. And uh, they're just both films that, that you know, there's definitely a nostalgia uh, component to, but I've watched them both in more recent years and I think they hold up as excellent movies in their own right as well. So those are my number 10.
0: Yeah, it's Secret of Nim. I remember going to Pitches to see that, but don't remember too
1: much about it and the last unicorn i don't think i've ever seen what you never I, seen the last unicorn i don't think so no oh man i don't know it's it's a it's a great film it's it's definitely weird like i said there's some parts especially in the beginning that are trippy but uh it, it's a, it's a great film uh yeah yeah okay yeah <laughs> check I'm gonna it have out to check it out see what you think
0: yeah i'll have to watch that okay well my number three was one at the time the people didn't number really three number three my number three because it's in <laughs> the title yeah my number 10 Uh, has a three in the title. It's Halloween 3, Season
1: of the Witch. Ah, very good choice.
0: Hence my confusion. Yeah, at the time, people didn't really like it that much, but it was uh, directed by Tommy Lee Wallace and produced by John Carpenter, Deborah Hill. And obviously, people didn't, I think, didn't like it originally, mainly because there was no Michael Myers. It was a bit of a divergence from the previous Halloween movies, but it's the one with the masks and, you know, uh, Eight Mud Days Till Halloween, and it's... (laughs) What is it? Silver Shamrock? That's the name of it, isn't it? Yeah, Silver Shamrock... uh, jack-o'-lantern masks and things like that, but uh, it's a signal coming out and it's all very, uh, you know, there's a bit of a conspiracy going on and we've got a guy trying to find out what's you know, what's happening and then he sees, he's investigating it and he, he realises that this these masks aren't the best thing to get your kid uh, <laughs> and it all builds this sci-fi kind of horror and I just, I just like the fact it was a bit different, a bit unexpected and it's I've watched it again recently and I, I think it's got better with age, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I love Halloween 3. didn't quite make my list just because I had to edge a couple movies out, and that was one that I I hated to leave off. But um, I understand why people were mad at it, though, because you had Halloween and Halloween 2, which were both so successful and both excellent films. And then here's this Halloween 3 where you just throw the main character right out the window. It's yeah. a very strange decision. I know that they Halloween 3 started off as a different film, and they sort of tacked it on, but it they tack the name on to make more money, but I don't understand why you would just completely abandon a franchise like that. It, it has never made sense to me. Yeah. That being said, I think it's an excellent film as a standalone movie if you're just watching it as, as a movie that has nothing to do with Michael Myers. It's, it's terrific. It's a really cool kind of horror sci-fi thing, and, and I do think, like you said, it's gotten better with age, and it holds up really, really well.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, they could have just called it Halloween Season of the Witch. Yeah. And keep the three out of it, and it still would have been, you know...
1: Right, more like a spin-off almost, you know, like, yeah, like, yeah. Like, like Rogue One, a Star Wars story. This could have been Season of the Witch, a Halloween story. Yeah, something like that, yeah. But I think they weren't as savvy about marketing franchises back then. Yeah, definitely.
0: Okay, so uh, so what's, what have you got for your no- number nine?
1: Okay, so for number nine, I have a little-known film called Class of 1984 – and it stars Perry King, who's probably best known for being on the TV show *Riptide*. Hmm. And it also features one of the first performances by a very young Michael J. Fox. Perry King plays a teacher at this school that's kind of run by the gangs and run by the kids, and they're sort of trying to take over the school. And they, they, you know, assault his wife, and they, you know, they, they bully everybody, and all the teachers are scared of them. And he sort of has to take a stand. You know, it's it's kind of one of those slightly in the future type of movies. It's not really science yeah, yeah. fictiony, but it's clearly meant to be sort Slightly of an, dystopian yeah yeah in america that's going downhill um and i actually just discovered it a couple of years ago they put it out on on blu-ray and i'd never seen it before uh but i really loved it it is it is dark and bleak and and violent and it doesn't really pull any punches and it's cool to see michael michael j fox he looks like he's about 14 years old he's definitely like a kid um <laughs> But it's one of those kind of B movie exploitation type films, but it, it really it really holds up well. I think as just kind of a, a down and dirty action flick, uh, I really like it. I think Perry King is good in the lead role, and like I said, it it's, it doesn't pull any punches, which, which I think is pretty cool for a movie like that. It definitely feels uh, more complete than a lot of '80s movies, uh, low budget '80s movies especially at the time did. So it's it's a film I really enjoyed discovering, and it's it's worth tracking down if you've never seen it. Yeah, I've
0: uh, I've never seen it, and I don't. I must have heard of it, but I don't don't recall. But uh, no, I'll have to I'll have to get that one a watch. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, definitely brilliant. it's definitely worth tracking down. Yeah, because it's always good seeing uh, people like Michael J. Fox when they're like before they make it big. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, brilliant. Okay, well, my number nine. It's uh, maybe surprise if you've listened to previous episodes where we go on about Ridley Scott, but it's uh, my number nine is Blade Runner. Ah, very good. Because even though I'd, I'm always disappointed with it, and I think the more I see it, the less. I like. It. I always feel the first half is still pretty damn good. I mean, it looks brilliant. It always looks beautiful. Um, and depending on which which cut of the film, I always it's so many different cuts of it. You know, that I can change the thing of it. But it's the fir- the first, well maybe the first third is just is really really good. And I mean, it's probably making the list. Probably make the list anyway because just the way it looks. The production design and the model work and things were just fantastic. The costumes and they had a real good sense of world building with this one. Really, it was the first proper cyberpunk kind of film.
1: Yeah, it's my number, my number nine, mainly because of the way it looks. Fair enough. It's interesting that we both sort of went to Blade Runner in our After the Endings in the episode that's the yeah, year of Blade yeah. Runner. That's a complete coincidence, you know?
0: I know. And also, it was the year that Philip uh, K. Dick died, same year, when it came out. Oh, yeah, that's that's interesting.
1: Yeah. Hmm, this is a sort of a weirdly Blade Runner-centric episode. Yeah. So what have you got for number eight? My number eight is a film that stars Dustin Hoffman, uh, and it is Tootsie, which Ah, is just a really great comedy. I I remember seeing it as a kid when I was way too young to watch it. I think my parents took me to see it in the the movies, or maybe we watched it on video, and I, I... I sort of vaguely recall liking it, although I don't think I understood a single bit of it as, yeah, <laughs> as a yeah. kid. Uh, and then the Criterion Collection put it out on Blu-ray a, a year or so ago, so I watched it again, and I was really blown away by how fantastic it is. I mean, Dustin Hoffman is really amazing in the lead role. Obviously it's the film where he dresses up as a woman to get a job, but I, I and I kind of thought maybe it was going to be silly or boring, but it's it's really sharp. The writing is fantastic. Dustin Hoffman is fantastic. He is just really so good. It's, it was a nice reminder that he wasn't always just sort of this dustin Hoffmany kind of guy he's been the last decade or so but was once a really exciting <laughs> yes actor, yeah that's true yeah you know um and it's just a really funny funny film i was surprised by just how good it is and how well it holds up so that's my number eight no that's a really good film it didn't quite make, make my list purely because i haven't seen it in a long long
0: time but i remember when i have seen it i enjoyed it for all, all the same reasons you said and uh Dustin Hoffman does give an amazing performance.
1: Yeah, I definitely think if I hadn't seen it in a while, it might not have made it. But having seen it more yeah. recently, I, I you know, I can remember that I, I just really enjoyed it. I was surprised by it. So yeah, Excellent. Well, uh, my
0: number eight is My Favourite Year, which stars uh, Peter O'Toole, Marklin Baker, and Jessica Harper. And it's sort of it's set in uh, the summer of the narrator's, uh, Marklin Baker's character, his favourite year of 1954 where he works, it's the early days of television, and he works as a comedy writer on a variety show. And they've got this uh, actor, swashbuckling actor called Alan Swan, played by Peter O'Toole, who's basically an Evel Flynn kind of character. And he's coming on the show, but he's uh, a a total drunk. And uh, basically, the main character, he's been told he's got to stop Peter O'Toole's character from drinking for the week running up to the show. And it's all the the comedy of errors. And Peter O'Toole gives some life lessons. They realise they've got more in common than they thought they did. And it all ends up in a big swashbuckling comedy kind of thing at the end because the mob get involved. But it's, uh, it's Pete O'Toole is a brilliant actor and he was a renowned drinker as well in the day. So he did, does know how to play a very good drunk and he does it supremely well in this one. It's very funny. It's It's got a mix of everything. You've got the, the movie star and you've got the TV show and it's the clash of you know cultures and ages and things coming together. But it's uh, it's a fantastic movie, loads of fun. Peter O'Toole was nominated
1: for an Academy Award for Best Actor in it, so it's uh, it's well worth checking out if you haven't seen it. Very cool. I have not seen it. I'm not even that familiar with it, to be honest with you. Uh, but I will go out on a limb and say I'm going to bet this is probably the one and only time that a movie starring Mark Lynn Baker in the lead role is going to make one of our lists. <laughs> Cousin Larry yes. from Perfect Strangers wasn't exactly tearing up the movie charts back in the day. I know, yeah, it's,
0: <laughs> it's an odd one, but him, he, he got to work with Peter O'Toole in this fave. Yeah, fave go 24. figure. Good Crazy.
1: All right. Well, my number seven is a film that has already appeared on your list, and it is Blade Runner, hey. uh, which is, of course, uh, could be a surprise to some people. As we know, I'm not the biggest Ridley Scott fan in the world, but this does qualify as one of those sort of three good movies he made 30 years ago, and that's the one he's been coasting on ever since. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, and yeah. I think I've told the story before, but I'm going to tell it again because, you know, new listeners and all that. <laughs> you do it, Mike. You do it. It took me years and years and years to appreciate Blade Runner. I would try to watch it every couple of years, and I could never make it past the first half hour. I was always bored to tears i just never liked the movie at all and then finally when it came out on blu-ray uh or maybe it was dvd special edition i don't know it came out probably about i'd say about at this point yeah it came out on a new edition yeah i know shocking right the Um, final last ever yeah until the next one i'd say probably seven or eight years ago it came out in an edition i finally said i'm going to sit down and i'm going to watch this movie from start to finish if it kills me and so (laughs) i finally watched it and and when i watched the whole way through I really appreciated it, and I really did discover that it is a great science fiction film. I don't think it's as great as some people make it out to be. I don't think it's the end-all and be-all of great sci-fi, uh, but I yeah, do yeah. like the film very much, and I certainly appreciate it as one of the greats from the 80s. So it's on my list. Yeah, well, it's uh, as we say, it's, it deserves to be because, yeah, it's an iconic
0: film for a number of different reasons. Right. My number seven is Conan the Barbarian, starring huh, okay. Arnold Schwarzenegger and James Earl Jones, and directed by John Milius. I've always had a soft spot for this film because I've always had a soft spot for the character of Conan, the ultimate barbarian as it was, but uh, it was never as good as, as I was hoping it would be, but it just it had a good sense of place and it was a bit different from some of the other fantasy ones and it did have this whole feeling of, you know, you could die any minute and because somebody's going to stick a sword in you or a giant snake's going to attack. I won't be on everybody's lists, I can understand why, but it's just got this... There's just something about it, which I find mesmerizing. and I do watch it every
1: couple of years or so, and I I just really like it. Very cool. All right. Well, my number six is a film called Death Trap, starring Michael Caine and Christopher Reeve. Oh, God, I forgot about that one. Yeah, I love it. Wow, yeah, yeah. I love this movie. I remember watching it as a kid, and it's about these two writers, and they're writing a play together, and there's some stolen ideas, and eventually it leads to what may or may not be... Uh, murder or murderous intent. And it's sort of this black comedy that is both suspenseful and funny. And Christopher Reeve has never been better. Uh, Michael Caine, of course, is Michael Caine. And it's just a really fantastic film. And they put it out on DVD a couple of years ago. And I I was excited because I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. And I watched it. And it holds up so well. It is a really fantastic film, even after all these years. Just watching the two of them go back and forth and, you know, some really funny moments and some really tense moments. And it's kind of like a... Not a who's done it, but who's gonna do it, a mystery. Yeah, yeah. Um and boy, I just really loved this movie. I was so glad when I watched it to see that it it was as good as I remembered it. So uh that's why it's my number six.
0: Oh, excellent choice. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. I've only, only sought the ones, but it's got some amazing twists and turns in that one yeah. as well.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of fun.
0: Good choice. Okay, my number six is uh Rocky Three. Very good. yeah 'cause I've always been a fan of the Rocky films and this one was uh Involved a bit of boxing, followed pretty much the same story as all of them do. But it had Mr. T in as Clubber Lang, and also a brief bit of uh, Hulk Hogan as the yeah, Air Thunderlips. But it's, it's where Rocky has basically got a bit cocky. He's had the fights and he's got a lot of money from it, and he's. Uh, but then Club Lang, this young punk played by Mr. T, he comes along and he just he has a fight. He loses, and then it's all a big training montage again. And he finds you know by, you get Apollo Creed coming back in, and it's just wow and i I've, I've always been a fan of the rocky films i think it's a great great story great characters and the way it's it's just uh, stallone directed this one as well as wrote it and it's just uh, it's it's i think it's probably my favorite
1: rocky film out of them all
0: agreed excellent choice thank you what is so where have we got now number five
1: yes well my number five is uh, kind of a, a counterpart to your Rocky 3 and it is first blood which of course is the first Rambo film and uh, as we all know I'm a huge Sylvester Stallone fan and uh, and you know for pure visceral movie going fun I prefer Rambo 2 yeah, yeah but um, but first blood is really a, a great sort of action suspense thriller it's not as much of a hardcore action film as it is like almost like a survival film um but stallone is fantastic in it and it's it's just a really dark movie that i i enjoy very much obviously the franchise kind of went from there into this sort of over the top you know jingoistic action franchise but first blood is just a really great dark thriller and i I enjoy it quite a bit
0: excellent choice it almost made my list but i went with rocky 3 instead but yeah it's a I, I, it's my favorite of the of the Rambo films, but I was never that big a fan of them all. But gotcha. it's a to, yeah, it's a totally different feel. You watch First Blood and then go to Rambo Two, and you are sort of going, on. Uh, right. What the hell? Right. What happened? <laughs> because it's it's quite a deep and moving story as well. The first one. Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. Well, my number five is uh, Poltergeist. Oh, okay, cool. And we did uh, for our very first episode. We did after the ending for the the remake of that, but the the first one was directed by Toby Hooper. Or Steven Spielberg, depending on who you listen to. <laughs> right. But uh, Spielberg wrote and produced the film. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's you know, the family, they're here. We, we all know the story and it's haunted. It's got some great special effects and that bit with the TV and it's just got a great sense of style. And it's I always find it a bit, it's like the bits in the kitchen when she goes out the room and then comes back in, everything's st- stacked up on the table things like that. And you just going, Oh my God, that's amazing. Just those little things. this usually the simplest effects are the best ones that, that creep you out all the more. And I just like the fact it's just got this feeling of this family in America, just like any family anywhere. And it's, but this, this crazy, scary stuff is going on and they don't know how to deal with it. And you get some people in who say they can deal with it. And then you realize that they, they've never seen it before. Like anyway, and it's just what's going on. And it just builds some amazing shots some very Spielbergian shots as well. It's weird. Yeah, yeah, funny but, uh, it it's, uh, no, I, just, I do like it. It's one of those horror films you, f- you watch when you're quite young as well, and it, it is very quite scary as well. Yeah, and even now it's still quite some scary moments, even though it's it's almost like well, it's not a kiddie horror. It just has. It's got a kiddie vibe to it, even though it's not. But it's
1: uh, it's my number five. Very good. I uh, it did not make my list because that movie scarred me as a child. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought I saw it when I was. I think I, I was always scared easily as a kid, and I, I don't think I was ready for it, and it it, it's, yeah. it terrified me. And uh, to this day. Uh, directly related to this movie, I still have a thing about maggots because of that whole chicken scene and I can't—I cannot see maggots without my stomach turning even yeah. now, 30 some odd years later. It, that, that movie has affected me and it will always be a thing. So uh, it's a good movie. I like it, but I, I will never ever watch it again. <laughs> I totally understand that. Excellent. So, Excellent. Uh, my number four has appeared on your list and it is part two of my Sylvester Stallone double feature. It is Rocky Three. as i've said many times before rocky movies were an event in my family and much like you uh it's it's hard to tell for sure which is my favorite but i know as a kid especially as my favorite Uh, i do think it has kind of some really great moments in it mr t is actually a really terrific antagonist uh so it's it's a great film and a great franchise so that's my number four an excellent choice well my number four is tron very
0: good yes uh Jeff Bridges, Bruce Boxleitner, end up, they end up going into a computer and it's all crazy stuff. And it's uh it's very 80s in its style, especially when you see the arcade, the video arcade. It's it's quite nice watching it though nowadays and just getting back that vibe of when you're a kid going to the arcade and playing these games and watching some, you'd be standing behind someone watching them as they're playing a video game because they're really good. And uh, on the other occasion when you'd be playing a game and you were sort of good and there was a few people watching, you'd be going, this is it, I'm going to be brilliant. And then you'd mess up and realised you had no more money left, and that was it. Okay. But no, this one, uh, I always had a soft spot for that. It's not the greatest film, but I, lo- I just love the idea of somebody getting taken into a computer and I'm finding out there's a whole world there. It was amazing special effects for the time. It's bizarre that the old sh- they were basically, all the costumes were black and white and they had black and white makeup on, and then they went, people went through and coloured in, uh, you know, by hand, the various, every... Sh- piece of film or the bits inside the computer. That's just phenomenal that they did that. Yeah. The time and the effort that went into it's crazy. But it was uh it was something a bit different and it's uh I really wish we'd get the sequel have been better. But it's so much potential and you have the light cycle thing which is amazing. Some some of the first actual computer graphics in film as well. And it just and Jeff Bridges is always cool to watch. The story is never quite as cool as it should be. And there's bits where you're just going, oh, it should be a bit more exciting things. But I think it's mainly down to the technology at the time. That's why we didn't have a bit, a few more dynamic scenes. But uh, just the style and the imagination that you see in this is uh, just phenomenal. And I always feel it should have been bigger than it was. Agreed. And it's my number four.
1: Well, I agree so much that it is my number three. Oh, yes. And, uh, you know, I I waffled back and forth between my number three and my number two because I probably love this film in a different way than I love my number two film. But I think the number two is a better movie. Uh, I agree with everything you said about Tron. It it does have some flaws when you watch it now. The pacing is a little slow in places. But this movie rocked my world as a kid, and I have been a diehard fan ever since. And I I go back and I rewatch it, and I see the flaws, but I still love it. It still takes me back to that, Feeling of when I was a kid, and it's it's so cool to look at, and I just I love the designs of it of the characters and the costumes and the ships and the light cycles and everything, and and just the way the world it's such a cool world to inhabit. Yeah, um, the designs just amazing. Yeah, so even though there are are flaws in it, the special effects were were mind blowing back then, and I just I love this universe of Tron, and I have. Devoured everything Tron related since it came out. Any any comics, any toys. I had the action figures when I was a kid when the movie first came out. And, you know, I, I, I even like Tron Legacy despite its many flaws. Um, it's yeah, just a yeah. universe that I am in love with. So um, while there may never be a perfect Tron film, uh, this one's going to always be very high on my list of favorites. Uh, and, it, and it has been since it came out. Yeah, it just, just makes you want to go out there with a frisbee and <laughs> yeah, throw it at people. Exactly.
0: Excellent. Glad we both had it on our list. Yes. Okay, so my number three is E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Very good. Yeah, directed by Steven Spielberg, and it was the reason why he couldn't direct Poltergeist, to think, because of his contract that he had to do this. Uh, okay, you went all know the story. Some kids playing in uh, role-playing games, and this girl with a shaving head comes up. he has been doing some <laughs> weird experiments. and uh, Oh, no, that's the wrong thing, yeah?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Very close, <laughs> though.
0: Yeah, stranger things have happened. Uh, <laughs> no, it had this it had this weird-looking alien, which I always thought was incredible that this became... You know, such a phenomenal Well, because it's such a good film, but the fact that there were so many things you could buy that were ET shaped and just weird. Because I, I'd, I'd never want to actually own an ET thing, right? Because, cause he is ugly. Yeah. But he had lots of personality, charisma. But it's a uh, brilliant acting by all the kids involved and all the adults as well. But the kids mainly just are just fantastic. And um, but the story just it carries you along, and you even now it it still holds up. Like the best Steven Spielberg films just don't seem to age. Just so many classic scenes. You know, the flying bikes in front of the moon, so on, and such beautiful characters, and it's just, it's uplifting, and the music, uh, brilliant score, and everything, just, everything just works so well. And it's beautiful.
1: Well, I'm going to say that E.T. actually didn't make my list. And it's not because I don't love it, because I do. I, I think it's a great movie. It was on my short yeah, yeah, list. Yeah. It was in my top 11, and as I was trying to narrow it down. And the only reason I ended up leaving it off was because it's actually been a really long time since I've seen it, longer than it should have been. And so yeah. I couldn't decide how much I liked it, so I didn't know where to put it on the list, so I decided it was just safer to leave it off. Uh, because I just didn't feel like I, I could kind of be fair with, with where it would rank on the list. I have been talking, my wife and I have been talking about how it's. I think the kids are the perfect age to see it now. So we're going to pull it out. So maybe if uh, if I do this list again in a couple months, I'll, I, it'll make it onto there. But for right now, yeah, I left yeah. it off.
0: Well, I think I watched it last year with Hannah, and she loved it as well. Right, so it's, right. uh, yeah, it's just as I said, it still holds up. And it was, there's so many bits I'd forgotten about. Yeah,
1: nice. yeah. I'm looking forward yeah. to watching it again. So maybe I'll report yeah. back after we see it, and I'll, I'll tell you where it would have come in on my list. Excellent. I look forward to that. Yes. So, we went to our top two now. Huh? Yes. And my number Ooh. two will be a surprise to probably nobody. It is Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. Uh, That's a bingo. It's mine as well. I had a feeling it would be on your list as well. Yes. Uh, it's one of the greatest of the Star Trek movies, obviously. it's It's got so many great moments. I, I watched it again not very long ago at all. It still holds up. It's, it's classic Star Trek. It's Kirk versus Khan. And, oh, man, it just works on so many levels. It's a great... Car- <laughs> right? It's a it's a great science fiction film, it's a great action film, it's a great Star Trek film. And of course, that scene at the end with Kirk and Spock when Spock is dying and he puts his hand up on the glass, it it boy, it chokes me up every time, brings tears to my eyes. And you know, Star Trek wasn't always the most emotional show in the world, so for it to be able to do that and have this friendship really develop over the course of this film. I mean, they've been friends for all these years, but this film really sort of dialed in on that and made it so impactful. uh, And I just, I love it. And I do think that um, it's really great performances by William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy and DeForest Kelly. Again, not always films that bring out the best performances from their actors, but in this movie, I think the three of them especially are utterly fantastic.
0: Yeah, it's uh, you got it spot on. It was also nice. I like the fact it was a, basically a follow on from a, an episode from the original series. Yeah, it was nice to see things develop that way, and you have the you know the same actor coming back to play Ricardo Montalban to play Khan. It's Kirk meeting his match, but you know still managing to to save the day. And it was just yeah, there was a different. I think also as well the fact it came after Star Trek: The Motion Picture, and it was it was different. It was. Uh, it wasn't as ponderous and plodding as that that film was. In places, there was more action, and you had, you know, on the bit with the, is it Chekhov gets the thing down his ear? Oh, she meant yeah. to be square. Every yes, time I see it, indeed. But it's uh, and it just the effects, and the, I mean the nebula, and the... Just, yeah, so many good bits about it. And it's just, I think it's just a solid piece of storytelling.
1: It just it gets it all right, I think. Yeah.
0: But anyway, yeah, that's our number two, and uh, I think. We, could we have the same number one? Uh,
1: I know for a fact that we have the same number one, uh, because I know what your number one is going to be, and it is what my number one is going to be. So do you want to reveal our joint number one? No, you you reveal it. Come on. Okay. Take it away. All right. It is John Carpenter's The Thing.
0: Oh, crap. <laughs> oh, no, yes, it is. Yes, we've got the same number one.
1: Yeah, not a big surprise. As you've said on the show before, it's your favorite movie of all time, right? yes it is and it is one of my favorite movies of all time i think it is one of the greatest horror films of all time one of the greatest science fiction films of all time john carpenter has almost never been better uh, kurt russell is fantastic I-, I don't really know what else you can say about this movie so i'll let you take it away phil since it's your favorite
0: well you got rob botin's amazing special effects the sculptor and just the effects are mind-blowing even now they're still better than, than so many films uh, it just—it's got—it just gets everything. It's—it gets everything right. It's just got this, you know. They've got this setting. The best horror stories are in places where people can't get out, and half the problem is, you know, coming up with a, a reason for that. But you've got this base in Antarctica where they're stuck. They've got helicopters so they go short distance, and then this—it's just a great intro. You just have these guys chasing the dog, shooting it. We don't know what's going on, and the people we're watching—they don't know what's going on. So we're learning what's going on with them, and I love that in a film. It, all the films that do that's it's like uh, Aliens as well, where they land on on the planet, you know, and the Marines are going in, and we're, we're there with them. We're going, what, what's happened? We don't know. But uh, the thing it just does it well, and you've got these, all these different characters, and the base, Kate Russell. Every time I watch it, I mean, I watched it the other week, because every time I get sent a new projector to review, it's like my first film I put on, Right. because it's just everything... All the way it's shot the way the the bases and the settings and the camera angles and you don't know who's the thing and who isn't and i'm that ending when the ending and you're just going oh my god that's the ending yeah <laughs> it's just even the bit when you find out it's been building a spaceship under the ice and you see the spaceship it's this cute dinky little UFO but it's still dead cool and you're going wow yeah he's just built it it's it's built that it out of all the bits and pieces and part of you's wondering what would happen if it did reach uh, the mainland and it's just oh it's amazing and people getting you know turning into things and biting people and there's blood everywhere oh it's great and I always remember the first time I saw it I turned out I was young I turned sort of flicking through the channels and it was just a scene near the start where the dogs just put it in the pen and I was going oh what's this this looks interesting right. and then about five minutes later I was screaming going <laughs> what the
1: hell is this
0: <laughs> but then uh, a little bit older and I watched the whole thing and loved it
1: yeah, yeah. it's one of the greats for sure it's yeah. a classic
0: but it's weird though because the fact when it first came out it was slated by so many critics yeah well got a quote here john carpenter he said on the reception he said i take every failure hard the one i took the hardest was the thing my career would have been different if that had been a big hit the movie was hated even by science fiction fans they thought that i betrayed some kind of trust and the piling on was insane it's bizarre isn't it and it's, now it's, it's
1: crazy i don't understand yeah. how because when i saw it for the first time i was young also i didn't see it in theaters but i was pretty young when i first saw it and i loved it from the start and so it's like what were people not getting about it when it came out. I just, I don't understand it.
0: Yeah, I mean, Roger Ebert, he said the film was disappointing, but he did find it scary. Uh, there was, people were saying because E.T. came out as well.
1: Yeah, that certainly didn't help any. <laughs>
0: mm, but yeah, but it's, uh,
1: it's a classic now, and rightly so. Without a doubt.
0: And that's why it's our, both of our number
1: one. Exactly. And that's going to start to wrap up this episode for us. So, Phil, why don't you tell people what we're going to be discussing in next week's episode?
0: Okay, so next week we'll be doing our top ten films of 2010, so we don't have to go that far back. Uh, but uh, we'll be going after the ending of, and this is a hell of a double bill for any night. If you want the night to start popping, yeah, we, this is the double bill you. better for start year. it early, too. Yeah, damn right. Because it's Masters of the Universe, Dolph Lundgren as He-Man. Of course, the perfect compliment for that is... Gone
1: with the wind. <laughs> I, I, I don't know that you can find a more perfect pairing of movies than that, frankly. Well, Dave, I don't give a damn. <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. <laughs> all right. Well, then, that is an episode I am greatly looking forward to. Hopefully, you will all be looking forward to that as well. In the meantime, we are going to sign off for now. So, as always, we thank you greatly for listening. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next week. After the ending.
0: And look who's joining us now. Mm-hmm. Get out, Yoda.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Wow, we are uh, we, we are starting off in some sort of form tonight, huh? Oh, yeah, and it's going to be downhill all the way. <laughs> no breaks. Oh, that's the way I like <laughs> it.
0: He sees news reports about uh, Sam Bell's clone. I didn't write down which clone this was here. He sees the news report about... <clears throat>
1: You got to sort out your Sams, Phil. Yeah, you got to sort yeah. out your Sams. How many times have I told you? Yeah, too many Sams. I've been doing this podcast well over a year, and how many times do I have to tell you, you got to sort out your Sams? He's got to play it again, Sam. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I'm sorry. You may have to wait. I just felt a physical pain in my chest. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, hold on to your horses. You might feel that pain even more. Oh, great. <laughs> Can't wait. Uh, the new Sam on the moon. Oh, that's, that's lots of. Uh, hold on. <laughs> sort out your
1: Sams, damn it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> was that you you just had a DNA and <laughs> uh yeah I can't know. Transfusion, yeah. Yeah. Oh ruin that one, yeah. Right, Jesus yeah. <laughs> That's not for the bleepers, that was crap. No. <laughs> <laughs>